Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode of Wag the Dug is supported by Small Batch Dispatch. Small Batch Dispatch is a craft beer of the month club with a portfolio of 30 breweries from across Ontario. They deliver anywhere in Canada, and they'll get you stuff that you can't find at the LCBO or the beer store. For 10% off any order, visit smallbatchdispatch.com and enter the discount code DUG at checkout. That's smallbatchdispatch.com, offer code DUG for 10% off. We might be sitting on the precipice of the Doug Ford administration authorizing private healthcare clinics, increasing the power of private home care companies, and some people say totally fucking up the universal healthcare system we're used to. And no one's talking about it. I'm Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. And unlike 68% of Ontarians, I do like it when Doug Ford says he's for the people. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. I'm the news editor at Candleland, and like 15.2% of Ontarians, uh, I'm inclined to agree that Doug Ford is the biggest problem facing Ontario today. This is Wag the Doug, a pop-up podcast about Doug Ford. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So, like many premiers before him, Doug Ford has come into office with promises of reforming and improving Ontario's crowded, expensive healthcare system. But what has people worried is exactly how he intends to do this and what the forces are pushing him in various directions. You know, I was thinking about, like, how much 
have the Fords waded into health policy in the past because healthcare doesn't tend to intersect with municipal politics. And then I remembered, oh, wait, no, no there, there was something. All right, we're talking to Mayor Rob Ford of Toronto. Mayor, do you have an opinion on our, our system over here, on our president, on uh, Obamacare, any of that that's going on here? You've heard there's been a lot of controversy here, problems with websites, et cetera. What is your take on what's going on here and, and the, the issues that are plaguing our country? Well, well, as a person, as a person, I, I, I like uh, President Obama. I don't like his politics. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't believe in all this public-funded you know, health care, and, you know, we've got to pay for it. We can't afford it. What you guys are doing down there, I just I can't get my head around it because it's costing a fortune, and I don't know where you guys are going to find the money except for the taxpayers' pockets, and I think people are taxed to death. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mind two-tier health care. If you, if you want health care, you pay for it. That's, I understand that. But, you know, um, so that was Rob Ford in late 2013 at the height of the crack scandal on a Washington, D.C. sports talk radio show uh, expressing for, I believe, the only time his thoughts on uh, Canadian health care. Usually it's a pretty reasonable inference that if Rob Ford had an opinion, Doug Ford would share it too. I think what we can be sure of is that no matter what Doug Ford does to change Ontario's healthcare system, which currently costs $6 billion per year. It's the biggest by far expense the province has. He's not going to come out and no one in his administration is going to come out and say, yes, it's time for two-tiered healthcare. We are privatizing the healthcare system. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to roll out in some sort of quiet way, small steps, opening up for business, small pieces of the system, but in a way that can fundamentally change the precedents that we have for how care should happen. I mean, that is how I would expect it to unfold. But Doug Ford is one of, one of those politicians who has a tendency to every so often uh, say the quiet parts loud. So it would not surprise me if at, at all if at one point or another he does put it in those terms. You might not be wrong about that. Uh, so where we're starting from, though, why don't we just talk about very fast the Canada Health Act, which is the law nationally mm -hmm. that the national health care system, which applied by the provinces, so OHIP here in Ontario, must ensure that all insured persons, basically residents, have access to medically necessary hospital and physician services. That has been the law of the land for a very long time, but like most laws, there's always people pushing back on it, and there are people right now that believe this this might be the moment, and Doug Ford's administration might be the ones that finally tip the scales and allow some big changes to how that rule is applied to care. I mean, what really sort of brought mm -hmm. this into the public conversation recently is a recent uh, op-ed by Bob Hepburn in the Toronto Star called The Secret Moves to Increase Private Healthcare Happening in Ontario. In Ontario, all of the doctors are part of the Ontario Medical Association. It's a bargaining group, but it's been in like massive disarray for the past five years or more. Doctors don't have a contract. There's lots of infighting within the organization. And recently, a splinter group has arose. They're called the Ontario Specialist Association. So who are the specialists? They're radiologists. They're cardiovascular doctors. They are eye surgeons. They're the high-income, high-billing doctors. And what they want to do is exit the OMA 
and be able to sign their own contract with the province. So what happens if the Ford administration signs a contract with these specialists? Well, what Bob Hepburn says could happen is it would open the door to, quote, costly private radiology clinics, private cardiac health clinics, expand the ability for ophthalmologists to perform cataract surgery in private facilities, and much more. How does Bob Hepburn know this? I mean, Bob Hepburn is probably my second least favorite A-section <laughs> columnist in the Toronto Star. He's that peculiar figure who has the dual role of being both a weekly columnist and the corporate spokesperson for Tor Star, yeah. though his background is as a journalist, and also very deeply liberal connected. And so he's one of those people I sort of take with a bit of a grain of salt, like he probably knows what he's talking about, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's always a peculiar thing when, when news breaks in a Bob Hepburn column. So, of course, we don't know whether or not this is actually going to happen. We can take this column with a grain of salt. But what we do know is that a few weeks ago, Premier Doug Ford released a public letter to all of the bureaucrats in Ontario talking about how uh, his administration is, quote, moving forward at a lightning pace on health care reform. Just yesterday, in a big speech he did to the Economic Club here in Toronto, he said the province is committing to new models of collaboration and patient care. What we also know is that Doug Ford has two-tier healthcare advocates on his team and in his cabinet. Marilee Fullerton, who is a doctor and an MPP from Ottawa, has long been a, a two-tier healthcare advocate. Uh, she's on the record record talking about it. She was placed in Ford's cabinet as the current post-secondary education minister. But the rumors sort of swirling around Queen's Park are that she might be in the running for Christine Elliott's position as health minister. Who knows? But these are the type of people that are around that are in favor of going in this direction. Also last week, Dr. Bob Bell, he was the deputy minister of health in Ontario up until just a couple weeks after Doug Ford got elected. Uh, then he resigned. So that was in the summer. He has now entered the the fray as of last week, publishing a couple op-eds warning against making deals with this Ontario Specialist Association and warning against the wind down of the province's lens, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, he's making appearances on CBC's Metro Morning. A senior official in the healthcare system told the CBC that the lens, the local health integration networks, have, quote, gummed up the wheels. Is that an accurate portrayal of what the lens have done, do you think? Matt, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that the lens are a very easy target. A partisan target, and that's unfortunate. And part of the reason I wanted to come and talk to you today was to simply say there are great people doing a great job working in the local health. So what this all screams to me is that something's coming soon. If, you know, we have people from both sides talking publicly about the potential of two-tier health care. I mean, we weren't doing that in Ontario three months ago. We weren't doing that in Ontario three years ago. If we can reasonably take for granted that this is something they would like to do and that they have begun to take steps to move in that direction, how do we expect this to manifest? What what, what, would this, what do we think this would look like in the near to midterm? So there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One is that something like 30% of the healthcare provided in Ontario is already private in some sense of the word. 
different types of home care. There's other different types of uh, dialysis clinics, different diagnostic tests you can get that you can pay for. Uh, think uh, a 3D ultrasound uh, on a on a baby, something like that. That's healthcare, but you're not getting it from the OHIP system. We've kind of come to accept that. We don't really talk about it that much, but it's real. So I think it would be going along those same lines instead of Right now, you have maybe uh, high-income people that travel to the United States to get heart surgery because they don't want to wait years for it here. Instead, there'd be some swanky cardiac surgery clinics pop up that are allowed to charge more than they can bill the Mm. province, right? That's the incentive for the doctors to want to do it. They can probably charge two, three times what they can bill OHEP to do the surgery. We live in a pretty wealthy province. There's a lot of rich people here that are getting older. So that is another thing. We, I mean, we talk about the aging mm. population. What that means is there's, you know, soon there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people over the age of 65 with tons of money in their pockets, and they don't want to wait around for this type of health care. And I think what we've also seen in Canada is that boomers have sway, and I think that this might be the time that the boomers make their political sway on healthcare real. This episode of Wag the Dog is supported by Small Batch Dispatch. They're our first ever sponsor for this show. Uh, thank you to them for helping to make the show, for coming on board. Small Batch Dispatch is a craft beer of the month club. They deliver anywhere in Canada, so you do not have to go outside in this horrible weather. Every month, they curate their own selection of eight really cool ass beers that they will ship to your house each month. They'll come from a minimum of seven different breweries, so you're going to get stuff that you've never tried before. So these also include beers that you can't find at the LCBO or the beer store. Outside of Small Batch Dispatch, you'd only be able to get them at the actual breweries. So just scrolling through what's been their latest, their January 2019 pack, this Brute IPA from Market Brewing Company in Newmarket. That sounds pretty cool. I've never had that or I don't think anything like that. Uh, created through a technique recently discovered in California. It's brewed using an enzyme that allows the yeast to ferment further than normal, revealing a nice dry finish. Well, yeah, brute means like sparkling, That's what right? I'm thinking, right? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm like, oh, I would like a can of this. A champagne IPA. Now here's where it gets good. Because you are a listener to Wag the Doug, you can get 10% off any order. All you have to do is go to smallbatchdispatch.com and enter the discount code Doug at checkout. That's smallbatchdispatch.com. Offer code Doug for 10% off your first order of delicious, hard-to-find craft beers. Unlike many, many other areas of responsibility on which the province can do whatever the fuck it wants without anyone being able to contradict them or tell them otherwise, healthcare is a shared responsibility with the federal government, right? And they both have roles to pl- – like, like there are there are things the federal government can do, right? Like it's a federal – Canada Health Act is a federal law that presumably imposes certain obligations on the provinces, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going back to the Canada Health Act, I think if you talk to healthcare advocates who are worried about this type of thing, they're going to always point to the phrase medically necessary hospital and physician services. And again, I, I'm not going to say to be uh, that I'm a scholar on this law, but what I understand is that the, like that's as long as the province is still providing all of these med- medically necessary hospital and physician services to everybody else, the private sector wants to try to find a way to step out of that. 
to provide it oh. to other people for money. And th- another precedent that could be set is is out in Vancouver, out in BC right now, where a doctor, this has been going on for 10 years, but they just won an injunction last uh, last fall. Uh, it's a doctor, his name's Dr. Brian Day, and he's been fighting to try to get a ruling that it is unconstitutional to hold back private healthcare clinics because what it's doing is making Canadians have to wait too long for healthcare that they need and that people die in this process, that it's bad for their health to wait this long. So by basically not allowing private health clinics, the state is denying people healthcare when they need it. And we don't know exactly how that is all going to pan out, but I think we're getting closer to a judicial ruling on that subject, which could really again change the whole ballgame. What is the what is their stated goal here? Uh, yeah, as you say, they're probably they're probably not going to openly and directly go out the message we want to privatize healthcare, we want to create a two tier system. Even if Doug Ford does end up saying that at some point, what it, what is their stated reason? Sure, I mean it's it's hallway medicine, right? That's always their their tagline. During the campaign, I spoke to the people all across Ontario. At every stop, I heard the concerns about hallway health care. We have patients stuck in hospital hallways waiting hours for emergency care. They also put a lot of emphasis on, I mean, if you talk to anyone in the government, in, in increasing mental health care and adding new hospital beds, adding new long-term care beds. I mean, they're saying the right things, but... How exactly does that pan out in in, an overhauling in a whole system? The other place that this is going, so I mean, the potential of of private clinics and private specialists is is one thing, but I think what we're actually going to see first, uh, and this has been in the news a little bit as well as of late, is getting rid of the province's LINs. LINs, which stand for Local Health Integration Networks, sound super boring. What they basically are are the, I think there's about a dozen of them, maybe fewer, and they basically stand in between the Ministry of Health and the hospitals and the other clinics, and they divert money into different places. They kind of supervise that whole system, and they also, so say you or your mother or your grandmother all of a sudden falls ill and needs home care, you would go to the LIN and they would arrange it for you. And they have uh, all the subcontract, they subcontract that to companies. And then all of a sudden, you know, the province is paying for someone to show up at your house twice a week and change your bedpan and, and take some care of you. So what a lot of people say, and some people I talk to say, like, the LINs are as good as gone. Like, I think that's going to be the first message we hear is that those are going to be replaced with uh, what some have said called a super agency, which will be hypothetically a smaller bureaucracy that will now make those changes. And then there's kind of one window shop if you want to go to the province for healthcare services instead of going to a bunch of different lens, there's just one place, which to Doug Ford appeals, right? It kind of goes along with his his retail politics, also Rob Ford's retail politics. You know, let me give you my cell phone number. I'll fix your problem. But I think a lot of times when people make these big transformational changes, I mean, you can waste three years actually making this transition without actually accomplishing anything other than that. And I think that's a lot of the worry there. This, I mean, this is all really interesting to me. I'm realizing more and more that as a someone in my early 30s who is mostly focused on – who has mostly spent my 
professional life focusing on the municipal sphere. I don't know a whole lot about the healthcare system, how it works on a policy level, how it works on a structural level. Uh, other than that, my own experiences have been reasonably positive, and maybe it feels like it's someone learning about how transit works for the first time on a policy level, how 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 housing works. It's actually it's like oh yeah, this is this is the biggest thing that the province does money wise, and maybe in terms also in terms of its direct effect on people's lives. There's a lot wow. of ways it can go wrong. <laughs> sure. And honestly, and like like transit and like housing, I'm not here to say it's going great now. <laughs> Anyways, no, of right? It's obviously, I mean, I think if you were trying to get home care for your family member tomorrow and you were going through these lens, you would be like, this is a nightmare. What is this socialist yeah. hellscape we live in? <laughs> but Maybe. that yeah. doesn't mean yeah. it can't get worse. <laughs> And I've been having a, lo- a lot of trouble kind of working out like what the forces behind getting rid of these lens really are. And from what I've sussed out from sort of talking to people on both sides of this debate is that it's the hospitals and let the hospital CEOs, uh, executives who are kind of like empire builders, they want their hospital to be, you know, the the best and the, have the best patient outcomes and the fastest service. They don't like the lens sort of messing around in the middle of that. They want to be able to decide how many surgeries they do. They want to do more surgeries. They want to do them faster. There's the argument that lots of operating rooms aren't being used to their full capacity. And they want to kind of to get things moving in a way that m- makes their facilities look good, which is fine because it would also help people. What that does, however, is lower the cost of doing things, which also sounds good, but then really centralizes it in places like downtown Toronto. All of a sudden, the only places that can do hmm. surgeries are the top tier facilities because out in North Bay, it costs a lot more money to run the Mm. service. Therefore, the province doesn't want to do cataract surgery in North Bay because it costs twice as much as to do it in Toronto. So that's one problem. (laughs) Am I going in crazy directions? No, no. I'm just trying to think and understand the province's reasoning because I still can't see them. That doesn't sound like the sort of efficiency they'd actually want to realize because it would disadvantage people in North Bay to the the benefit of people in Toronto. And that's... but nobody's going to understand that off the top, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it's a slow a slow movement. No, it's not going to be a big announcement that all of a sudden. And it's all, again, it's been going in this direction for a long time. Mm. Um, and the other thing that will happen with this is that the lens will stop being the ones monitoring the home care. And if anything in Ontario is for sure going the privatization route or has been for a long time, it's home care and long-term care, which, again, in some ways is fine because it's massive. And do we need the province operating even more people and having even more people and and services under their belt? I mean, lots would say it's stretched as it is. However, the province is still paying for this. But what the home care people want and and the hospital folks want seems to be a direct connection with each other. So now the hospitals will monitor how home care is directed to their patients after they have surgery. So that could be good because it maybe you have a closer relationship with your doctor and they tell you how much home care to get and it works. But there's the hint that things are moving too fast, like same day surgeries, you're in and out, and then you're in the hands of this private company now, and maybe you're not getting the care you need, and all of a sudden readmission rates are even higher than they are now, and the cost of the system just keep going up. 
if we can presume that they're not going to be openly or directly citing the United States, the United States as the exemplar of healthcare, what sort of things do you hear the government raising in terms of what they're looking towards as inspiration? Outcomes, innovation. The other force, the other sort of window we have into what Doug Ford is thinking and who he's hearing from is is Dr. Ruben Devlin, who is the special advisor, the premier special advisor on, on healthcare and hallway medicine. He's formed this panel or council, I guess, uh, a couple months ago of, of people that are going to be advising him on advising the premier on how this change goes. And what we do know is a few members of this council are from private home care firms, which some people have raised as a, as a possible conflict of interest, right? If these firms are now almost directly advising the premier on how to they can, you know, have a bigger seat at the table when it when it comes to this industry, which is just going to keep growing. Beyond the healthcare system, which broadly speaking keeps us all alive, uh, let's go back and forth and talk about some of the other things that it seems likely Doug Ford has, is, or will be breaking in the near to medium term? Rapid fire? I guess we only have so much time. Okay, how about the cap and trade system? Kaboom! (laughs) OSAP. No longer free for low-income people. Connected to that, uh, campus newspapers and various supports for marginalized students uh, because the government's indicated that they want that, that uh, universities must make so that non-essential services, which basically they define as anything other than health and safety or athletics, individual students can opt out of paying the requisite fees such that if you don't want to pay toward your student newspaper or your student society or the LGBTQ center or whatever, a student no longer has to. So it's sort of like imagine if some people could opt out of paying taxes for services they don't want to use. Okay, what about the green belt? The green belt is, of course, uh, environmentally sensitive land that uh, keeps our water clean and basically makes the area around the GTA nice. So that still exists, but it might not exist in its same form for much longer. Uh, Regional governments. uh, Municipal serenity. (laughs) Yes. uh, The fourth level of government between municipal, I mean, it's a type of municipal government, but uh, that uh, deals with regional services like Toronto used to have in the form of Metro Toronto and like Peel, Durham, Halton, et cetera, still have. looks like those are probably on the the way out as they will likely amalgamate cities however they see – as however they see convenient as convenient, bad stuff happens. Toronto amalgamated January first, ninety eight. It took about a full decade before it was actually functional as a, as a coherent city. After that, the place was a fucking cesspool of corruption, with bureaucrats be or with like like you know councillor being flown to a hockey game in Philadelphia as part of this lobbying effort over this computer leasing inquiry. And uh, as it happens, one of the other people on that airplane was uh, Jim Janu, who's now the guy who the government, Ford government has put in charge of Ontario Place, which is yet another thing I fear they will break. So if you were a municipal leader, like perhaps uh, Brampton's esteemed mayor, Patrick Brown, would you be like worried about this regional review? It depends on how much Patrick Brown uh, 
likes being mayor of Brampton as opposed to just having a, a role more generally. Uh, I could see, I mean, I assume Brampton is going away. Like, I assume they're going to merge Mississauga and Brampton just despite Patrick Brown and that he will then run for and quite likely win the mayorship of the new mega saga. Or if he doesn't do that well, as... Big Milton. We're calling it Big Milton. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I mean, mega saga is pretty... Um, uh, or as uh, John Michael McGrath from TVO joked on Twitter yesterday, it's... It's not impossible to imagine um, Patrick Brown running for the leadership of the Liberal Party. Ooh. I mean, we could keep going with these all day, but I think what has become crystal clear is the one thing Doug Ford can't keep down is Mr. Patrick Brown. That was Wag the Doug, a podcast about Big Milton. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. You can find me on the floor in a fetal position crying and or on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm Allison Smith. You can find me on Twitter at, at Queens Park Today. This show was produced by Kevin Sexton. Our theme song is kind of by Nathan Burley. If you like what we do, you can support us and get all of our podcasts ad-free at patreon.com slash Canada Land. 